And then for our gospel lesson today, and as I said, we're going to finish a chapter in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are at verse 38. Hear the word of Christ at verse 38, as he is preaching a sermon on this mountain that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As far as the reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, our scripture today is Matthew 5, 38 to 48, for the sermon time. And we'll begin with prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the hymns of the church uh, to teach us, to remind us, put it in, in, in a musical form, uh, that uh, it could be on our memories even better than just hearing the words. We would pray, God, that we would have instruction from the worship and meditation of those who live before us. And we pray that we would be instructed by the history of your church and above all by uh, your word, which will not pass away even though heaven and earth will pass away, and by your son who reveals the truth to us. And we ask, Lord God, today that we would see some things that we have not discovered before, maybe we weren't able or willing to see, and we would ask, Lord, that your spirit would come and change us, change our, our thought processes, our, our attitudes, uh, the way we live our lives, uh, that we would be more conformed to the pattern of Jesus Christ. And uh, we would ask now that the preaching would be faithful and that you would be our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We saw earlier in chapter 5 where Jesus addressed anger, anger and anger is uh, very much a part of our culture today. And if we look at culture in terms of, of examining our behavior, uh, we're going to think it's very proper to, to be angry, uh, to express anger. And Jesus talked about the sin of being angry with your brother earlier in Matthew chapter 5 as he starts out working with the commandments and you know, reading through the Ten Commandments, we, we surely think that we have not broken the commandment, do not murder, but he tells us if we've been angry with our brother in any kind of sinful way, and a lot of our anger is sinful, more, it's more sinful than not, 
uh, we've actually broken that commandment because that's how it all gets started with hatred and, 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 and anger and calling your brother names and so forth. And so we're, we're still working actually with this concept here of, of, of how to respond in a time when there's injustice, when things are not uh, going right for us in terms of our outlook. And we have these verses before us today that talk about mistreatment and persecution. There's a lot of our world that's very fair, and we expect that all the time, but sometimes that's not the case. And uh, Jesus, before this, talked about a blessing upon those who are able to endure persecution, uh, starting out with being insulted and slandered and even receiving worse treatment to rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Apostle Paul said that everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and so there's some degree of persecution that is promised for every Christian. You're not going to miss out on that if you are a faithful Christian. And so we have these problems that we deal with relating to injustice, how people are treating us badly from time to time. And what Jesus is putting before us here is that the problem that we face in that regard is also an opportunity for witness. How we respond to that, that problem of our, what we perceive to be injustice. And so Jesus starts out in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So we have the Lord beginning here with this verse that we, we know very well, uh, even if people that don't know the Bible know eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And this principle is stated three times in the Old Testament in the uh, section that we call the Law of Moses, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus, we find this principle and it's for uh, a judge. So if you'd go before a judge and you've lost your eye due to someone's injustice, uh, the a resulting penalty could not be more than the loss of an eye. Or if you've lost a tooth in a fight that was unjust, it wouldn't, the penalty couldn't be more than uh, another tooth. It had to be um, equal to what had happened. It couldn't be more uh, because that person was you know, considered more important or something like that. Uh, it sort of, sort of it regulated punishment, and it was for a courtroom. It was for a judge, and some things have to go before a judge. And it's not for a personal a response to a problem. In other words, it's not for how we uh, respond to some injustice in our life. You did this to me, I'm going to get you back. And that, that's not how it's put in the Old Testament. And Jesus is challenging this idea, uh, that current teaching of that time, and also in our time, on uh, the matter on justice, 
that it's not for private offenses. And that in fact, and this is gonna go against our cultural teaching, that we have to be willing to give up personal rights for the kingdom of God. Now in our culture today, we're all about personal rights, uh, being assertive and so forth. But what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, don't resist an evil person. Uh, if uh, someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Okay, so he's referring to these Roman soldiers might press you into service and require you to go a mile. He is saying here that we need to be willing as Christians to give up our personal rights at times for the kingdom of God. Now, James Boyce, who was a Presbyterian pastor and theologian who uh, lived in my lifetime, uh, he's, he's, he's passed on now, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. He was a pastor in, in Philadelphia. I, I did hear him in person and uh, he's been, you can get his sermons today online. Uh, he wrote this, that we live in an age that emphasizes personal rights. And he added this Latin phrase here, which is, by the way, one of my favorite Latin phrases. I, I don't often refer to a Latin phrase unless it's something very important in theology. And I don't know if this one's so important in theology, but it's, it's, it's like my favorite Latin phrase. Uh, it reminds me of a, of, a la of a wife that told on her husband, and, and, and not somebody from this area, okay? Not somebody from this town, but uh, her husband went to the doctor and uh, the nurse asked, the, nurse asked uh, the man, are, are you feeling nauseous? And he said, no, but I, I feel like I, I'm gonna throw up. Well, here's ad nauseum, all right? And if you study logic, it's an argument that uh, it's a logical fallacy actually. It's an argument by way of repetition with the idea that if it, it becomes true if it's repeated often enough, okay? In other words, if you hear something ad nauseum, you've heard it so much it makes you sick, all right? I've heard that ad nauseum. You know, there's some people that tell stories you've heard so many times, you've heard it ad nauseum, all right? So I think of, uh, of the Trump collusion theory that we heard for three years and then was investigated with millions of dollars and, and had some uh, a courtroom drama with it. And then, you know, it, it, well, it was repeated so often people thought it to be true. We heard it ad nauseum. And what's heard ad nauseum today is this idea that we live in an age that emphasizes personal rights ad nauseum. All the time, that's what we hear about. And, and so it's hard for us to, to think in a Christian way that from our, different from our culture, that at times we have to give up personal rights. At times we have to be insulted and we have to turn the other cheek. And, and as Jesus says here, and, and that's not something to scoff at. It's not something to uh, say that that's easy to do. Well, we must be willing to accept insults, in other words, in verse 39. Uh, that's got to be 
uh, part of the Christian experience. And Proverbs tells us that it's a noble thing when a person overlooks a fault and goes on with life. We have this example of Jesus in John chapter 18 when he's in the courtroom and, and he says something which is truthful but offensive to the people in the court and he's struck on the cheek. Uh, it, it actually happened to him, but for us, it's typically a picture of handling insult. And it's an opportunity to show kindness rather than resentment or protecting your interests. And we see this in verse 40. Somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That is not part of common sense. It's not part of our culture today. But what Jesus is telling, here's an opportunity to show kindness. Rather than be annoyed with a burden, the, the principle is to exceed your expected duty. Uh, take, for example, 41. If that military soldier can require you to carry a burden a mile, and you're willing to go two miles instead, that takes you, that really inconveniences you. That takes you two miles out of your schedule. Two miles you're going to have to walk back. Uh, that's uh, quite an inconvenience, and it would annoy uh, just uh, a normal person. Uh, but as a follower of Christ, your willingness to do that is going to showcase his love in your heart. And we see in verse 44, our Lord saying, well, let's go ahead of that to verse 43 to, to find the current teaching. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's common sense, is it? That's, that's how the rabbis were teaching it. Love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I tell you, this is Jesus now, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I've had, uh, in my past, I preached on this sermon uh, decades ago where I went to visit someone in our town after that, and this person couldn't go to church anymore listening on the radio, and she hadn't been part of our church uh, for years and years. Uh, sort of her, hers was sort of a recent uh, kind of uh, being part of things. She had just moved to town, and she said, well, you don't have any enemies. I guess she was thinking of people uh, shooting at you or something like that, World War II or something, I don't know. But love your enemies. I mean, people that are opposed to you, right? People that are, are, are doing bad things to you. Uh, there are those who persecute you. And this is what Jesus said before in Matthew 5, when uh, blessed are you when people persecute you and, and say all kinds of bad things against you because of me, rejoice and be glad. So the temptation then is when people mistreat you, the temptation is just naturally, like the rabbis taught, hate your enemy. And that temptation is from the devil. As we see in John, uh, John's letter, as we see what happened to Cain as he got angry and killed his brother. And First John tells us if we hate our brother, uh, it's a sign that the um, work of God's not in our heart. And Jesus' teaching, then, is not the teaching of the scribes, is not the current teaching. Bad teaching is corrected by our Lord. And that's important because sometimes people look at the different 
teachings that churches have. This church is teaching this, this church is teaching that. And who's to figure it out? Well, here's how you do it. You read the Bible and figure it out that way. See what Jesus said. We have the example of David with King Saul. He could have killed him. He had opportunity. He was to be the next king, but he refused because this was the Lord's anointed. And God uh, ended Saul's life at a time when God wanted that to happen during an, a battle. But David didn't do it, even though he had opportunity as Saul was persecuting him and wanting to kill him. But there's a danger in our response that's cited in Romans chapter 12 at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Someone does something evil to you? Don't repay him in kind. Don't repay him evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is not, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, his mind to avenge our repace as the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Romans 12 says, you don't, you don't respond with evil to what someone had done against you that was evil. You respond with good things. So that person is, whatever need you have, if that person is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And you're going to heap burning coals on his head, either to change him or to add to his judgment. Uh, but it is God's place to dish out the penalty. This is what is, we're told here, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So in other words, that's God's business, and if you were going to take that business on yourself, number one, you are a rank amateur. God knows the situation perfectly. He can dish out perfect, perfect punishment at the, just the right time and do this in a poetic way, a poetic judgment. That's his. He said, that's my job. And your job is to respond in a Christian way. And the, the verse ends, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So someone has shown you evil, don't return the same in kind. Remember the source of hatred. It's the devil. That's the source. And hating others, hating others, here's a little Star Wars description here, is going to make you end up on the dark side. You're to overcome evil with good. Let God punish. God will repay. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And here, here's something that we need to try. Love your enemies, Jesus said in verse 44, and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't just let them, you know, live in your mind and, and take over your thoughts and make you angry, which is sinful, but pray for them. Here's what Jesus did at the time of crucifixion when they drove the nails into his hand. They, cruci they were crucified him. Right after that, it says, that he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's what our Lord did. And we have the redemption accomplished by Christ, described by Paul. 
has taken place when we were God's enemies. And that's the way people are in their natural condition. They don't want to obey God. They're shaking their fist at God. Then you're not going to be the king. They want Jesus to be the king. They crucified him. But we're told here, if, we, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We see the example of the first martyr, Stephen, who was killed just outside the gate of Jerusalem, the Lion's Gate, St. Stephen's Gate, if you go there today. And while they were stoning him, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. We have the example of Paul, of Saul, who persecuted the church. He was there. He was holding the clothes of people that were in the act of stoning. And later in the start of chapter 8, we read that, that he was going around and, uh, from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison, described as, as destroying the church. This was Saul. And God, in an amazing way, through a miracle, worked in Saul's life and called him to faith. And Paul wrote in the letter to the church at Ephesus, he said, our contest, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, you might think the, the struggles with this human being that you can see, but Paul said, not really. It's with the evil forces that have penetrated that person's life. And he said, our, our contest is not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual forces of evil. And so then he tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be careful, therefore, as your heavenly Father. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We see in Matthew chapter 7, our Lord talking about the house that's built on the rock is, is how we're building our lives, that we have to be, take careful, uh, make careful uh, attention to the commands of Jesus. So in, in terms of this carpentry view here, and you think of building a house or you think of having some work in the house and you hire me as a carpenter, which would be a big mistake anyway right there. But if you did, and I would come to do the work and, and you want a, a window replaced, and, and so I come, to, I come to measure it and I'm going like this and I go back over to where I'm gonna saw and you'd say, are you kidding me? You know, where's this? this ruler to get some precision. Uh, if you've ever had eye surgery or cataract surgery and, and you get done with the surgery and, and you've either had a light show or your eyes go dark or, and then you can see a little bit again and then the surgeon says to you, when he's all done, he said, perfect. And you think, ah, oh, that's good, you know? I can't see like I should quite yet, but you know, that's, that's a very hopeful, uh, expression right there. It's not like, oops, or almost. 
And, and so when you want your surgeon to strive for perfection, you want your carpenter to get it precisely measured. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the windows, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. In other words, the house is a picture of our life. It's a house, the house is built on the rock. It's going to stand the test of the storm. It's built on living out the commands of Jesus. When he says, be perfect, he doesn't, you can't play around with that. You can't say, you look at what he asks you to do and say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Because your house, your life's going to get beat upon. It's going to be going through some spiritual trials. And so it's important that you take these words and put them into practice. And Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, we're to, we're to imitate our heavenly Father. And it's important that we have the right role models in our life. I told you before in recent weeks of, of this military chaplain that was my living role model. And in my times with him and the hours I spent with him, the days and, and nights that I, I, I was around him, I, I never saw any, I'm sure if I'd been, uh, knew him even better than I did, I would, I would see some things where he didn't have it quite right. Uh, but he was a great role model for me. And Jesus said we have to have the very best role model. I, I was... Uh, at a coverage just dinner one time in another church and, and um, made the choice to go back for seconds and I happened to see one of my friends in, in the, on the, at the table and I went up to him and I said, you know, I, I said to myself, if I called the guy by name, if, you know, I saw him going back for seconds and I thought, I should too. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I hope you set your sights a little higher than that. Can't, we can't look at each other, right, and, and figure out what's right. We have, to, we have to imitate our Father in heaven, right? What's he like? He's merciful every day. Every day. In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, we read that God is kind and great. He's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Very similar to what Jesus says here. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Luke says, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. This is what God is like. People get up and they get up and instead of praising him, they curse him. Instead of acknowledging his goodness, they, they shake their fist at him. They don't want his rule in their life. And yet he, he's kind to them, and, and, he, and he's grateful. Uh, he's, he's, he's graceful to them, even though they're ungrateful to him. Matthew chapter 5, we have a picture of common grace in the words of Reformed scholar Louis Burkhoff. 
Common grace curbs the destructive power of sin. It maintains in a measure the moral order of the universe, making an orderly life possible, distributes in various degrees, varying degrees, gifts and talents among men, promotes the development of science and art, and showers untold blessings upon the children of men. It's not saving grace, but it's certainly grace every day where people are blessed by God when he blesses the evil and the good with the blessing of sun and rain. And so Jesus said, that's what God's like. So as a disciple, you need to do more than what is only natural. Even lost sinners, and he cites tax collectors and pagans, love those who love them. And Jesus asked them, what reward will you get if you do nothing more than what is natural? In Luke chapter 6, he said, love your enemies and do good to them. Then your reward will be great. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Well, when you're good to your enemies, the problem, promise is your reward will be great. Just like uh, the reward for being persecuted. And our calling is to be the sons, in order to be the children of our merciful Heavenly Father. We're going to see a family resemblance if we respond like Jesus. So we look at this passage and the latter part of Matthew, and we see that hatred as a response to injustice is a spiritual poison, which is unacceptable to Christ. That hatred gets in the way of the mission of the gospel. The gospel that is to show the grace of God and the Christian calling which is to love our enemies. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have fallen short of what you have called us to do and to respond, and we pray for the work of, of grace in our lives and the presence of Jesus and his words to be foundational to our, our behavior and our attitude. Help us to pray for those that we would regard as opposing us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.